Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Hello and welcome back once again to the epic narrative. You know how I told you how I just get nervous around things, right? Electronically. Well, um, my microphone, actually, the microphone stand, there was this little glitch in it. I never liked it. Like every so often, my it just seemed like something should be able to tighten it down better than the way it was because every so often, the mic would just kind of swing one way or the, or the other, and I had no idea how to stop it from doing that. It just seemed like there should be a way to tighten it down, and I tightened every little nook and cranny that I could find, and finally, I was ready to glue it. I was going to glue it so that it didn't move anymore and because <laughs> I'm very comfortable where I put it. I was like, well, I can now glue it in place, and then it won't randomly swing off-center. And in, in trying to find where the best place was to drip the glue, I realized that I could actually tighten it down. I, it's only been two years, you know, so what are the odds? Um, <laughs> which, and then I think, well, yeah. It, the odds are pretty good because of the way that I operate around these things. I get very nervous and don't want to touch anything. It works. Just don't touch it. You know, once in a while, it, it wildly swings out of place and you know bangs against the uh, against the arm. But hey, just don't touch it. Everything will be fine. <laughs> and that's the way I operate around technology. God bless America. I love technology. I really do. I'm just uh, so cautious about it. And most people that are in technology are like, oh, you don't have to worry about it. Everything will be fine. You, we can always recover. And I think, no, no, no. You can always recover. I, 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 I can't. If I lose it, it's gone. It's, uh, I, I, have, I, have a, I have an amazing ability to make things disappear into places that no, no IT person can ever go and ever figure out how I got it there. To begin with. Anyways, all right, enough about me. On with the story. Now, this one, this one, just up front, this one might take more than 35, 40 minutes because I'm we're dealing with the final round here, right? We're dealing with the angel of death. Boom, boom, boom. And there's a lot contained, and it's really done over two chapters, <clears throat> chapters 11 and tw 12. Bob's rolling his eyes. Two chapters? You're going to do two chapters? We're going to be here for three hours. Stop it. They're both repetitive. One is kind of a short story, and the other one kind of expands it. And, of course, next season we may be in a book that expands it even more. So b -b -b back off, big fella. So I'm going to read you chapter 11, and then we're really going to tell this podcast from chapter 12. So, so just uh, bear with me as we read away. Now, the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people, the men and the women alike that they are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at the at her handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt worse than ever there was and ever will be again but among the israelites not a dog will bark nor any person or animal then you will know that the lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel all these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me and saying go and all the people who follow you and after that i will leave then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh, and the Lord said to, said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. 
Then in verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month of the first year of your year. So, in chapter 11, we believe, most people believe, that chapter 11 basically took place in the throne room when Moses was, in essence, dismissed from Pharaoh's presence forever. Remember, they had that exchange last in the last episode. I don't want to spend the time reviewing it, but they had a heated exchange after the darkness uh, plague, and and Pharaoh said, "Depart from me! I never want to speak to you again." And and most believe that chapter eleven is kind of a recount. In other words, Moses already knew that the Lord that the last plague, the last exposure of the of the enemy's plans was going to be the death of the firstborn and Moses let it fly and it says that he let it fly in anger now i know that you can be angry and not sin i know this because god says we can do it i also know that violence is not a part of god's plan when it comes to anger and I know this because Jesus wasn't ever violent, including when he was in the temple. And you can go back to season one. There's a bonus episode on Jesus in the temple, and I explain it in detail. There's nothing in that story of Jesus in the temple that indicates that he was angry unless you want to translate it that way. And so if you look at Jesus's life in which literally no other time was he ever angry, why would he suddenly get angry one day? And so I think translators needed an angry Jesus because they like an angry God because it's way more, um, it's way more manipulative if God gets angry and starts killing people. So, and Jesus got angry and started flipping tables and whipping men and women and children because he's just and holy and and you know preachers use it for all kinds of social justice issues that you can go out and and whip and beat and smash windows and and smash cars and burn, you know, shoot cops, whatever, whatever. And they say, it's fine. It's all fine because Jesus was mad in the temple. Uh, you know, you can steal money from the rich and give it to the poor because Jesus flipped over the money changers tables and all the money landed on the streets and, and the poor people were able to pick it up because God is that kind of God. I'm, you know, I've heard it manipulated so many different ways. It makes me sick because as you know, I am so passionate that God's good and he's loving and he's kind. And I know that this chapter, chapter 11 and chapter 12, it sure does it sure does come across in these translations like God was just so excited to wipe out the firstborn of every every person in Egypt including the the servants, but well, that we'll we'll deal with it. So, in this chapter, it also shows that Moses was a leader. Moses had shifted. If you remember the way people viewed Moses when he first arrived in, in Pharaoh's court, right? He was he was very non, um, not confrontational. What do I want to say? Unconfident. He was not very confident, very self-conscious. He, he felt like a failure. He had been in the desert for 40 years, had recreated his whole little world. He didn't need to be reminded that he had lost out on the opportunity to rule two nations. And he lost out because he made a poor choice in the timing of, of and not just the timing of, of when to try and take charge, but the manner in which he tried to take charge. He really tried to take charge in a, what I would call a dictator's mindset by killing his main protagonist, and that would be the taskmaster that he went after. But we covered that already. So Moses... Here in chapter 11, it's noted that the officials in Pharaoh's court respected and honored Moses. And the people respected and honored Moses. In other words, he had, he had, he had moved. Uh, he was, he was uh, highly regarded. He had, he had shifted in his position. He was considered to be a voice of God. And clearly a God who, who was exposing the idols of Egypt and exposing the political uh, spirit in Egypt and exposing the arrogance of Egypt. 
and he was able to protect those who worshipped him. And they, they recognized that. They also recognized that he had a political role in their country. As a protagonist, he was, he was standing up to a pharaoh that no one else had the power to do. And they watched what Moses was saying. They watched the way he was able to, to honorably and humbly stand before a powerful world ruler and go toe-to-toe with him. But here in chapter 11, he clearly lost his composure. He got angry. And what he let fly was, was said in passion, in such passion, that he wanted, he wanted to shut down what Pharaoh was about to release. And and, and that's, that's what I, I really sense here. He, I, I don't think Moses wanted to see Pharaoh go through the pain and suffering that was coming his way. I think God gave Moses, whether it was through dream or conversation, he gave Moses a a visual picture of what was going to occur throughout the nation when when this final judgment, when this final final revelation of truth came out. He was like, uh, and and when God shows this final judgment, Revelation. It 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 blows Moses's mind that Pharaoh is that ignorant, that that arrogant, and so he just releases this this passionate, angry revelation of God as to what was what's going to come down the pike next. And and God God has already showed Moses. Listen, I I know Pharaoh. I I love him, but I know him, and he. Oh, it's it's gonna it's gonna break him. He's not he's not gonna listen. I I don't think. Not that God is making him not listen, but from Moses's perspective, as he's writing this, God said he's not gonna listen. So therefore, Moses writes. God said he's not gonna listen. But he's not writing it like God's making him not listen. He's writing it because God already told him what Pharaoh was going to do. And there's a difference in the nuance in the way that you read that if you read it from the perspective that God's always good and he doesn't like killing. He doesn't He doesn't kill people. He doesn't like death at all. As a matter of fact, he hates death so much that he would sacrifice his son to conquer death, which he did. And so literally God would be fighting against himself in order to try and pull this off, but once again, I'll try not to get hung up on these points because we got plenty of opportunity to discuss it in the future. Uh, this is not God's secret plan all along. He's like, listen, you're, Pharaoh, Pharaoh and his officers are going to literally come to you. They're going to bow down before you. They're going to ask you to leave their country and never come back. Now, my plan was always... My, in Bob's opinion, God's plan was always to send his people three days out into the wilderness to worship and to celebrate, to throw a party like no other, to sacrifice animals, to eat eat the meat, eat the bread, worship, dance, sing, see the miraculous all around them. The Egyptians were going to be enthralled, amazed, uh, encouraged, and inspired, and ultimately follow Yahweh as well. He's like, it wasn't, wasn't my plan for you to be sent away forever, but I know it was possible. I knew that this was possible because he always knows the possibilities. God is not surprised by anything you do, not because he's a puppet master, but because he's all-knowing. And he knows his creation so well, and he knows Pharaoh so well. And he always wants the best for his children. He always wants the best for his creation. And I can't believe that killing all the firstborn children in an entire nation, all the innocent born, that can't be the best. It can't be the best for for the nation. It literally will destroy the nation of Egypt. It will destroy them. The best 
What love would would want the best is for joy and for hope and for freedom and for purpose and identity and destiny to be on the nation of Egypt, to follow follow after Yahweh by watching the Hebrews worship and, and join them in bringing all nations to the throne of God. That's the best plan. But God, God knows, he sees, he understands. He's like, this is not my plan, but this is what's going to happen because, man, he, you know, Pharaoh just keeps making these choices. This plague, like all the others, has been translated and transcribed with, as, as, as God, God's will was to kill, that God's judgment is to wipe out a nation so that his people can move forward. And then what, you know, by taking that position, it just makes it so much easier to say, everyone needs to join our team or you'll die. Like it's just, and some, some preachers get so personal about this. They'll be like, those who don't come to our church or my church are in the wrong. Now, some, some, not all preachers, but some actually take it that far. They like, you know, we carry the revelation of God. Moses carried the revelation of God. We carry the revelation of God. If you're not with the revelation of God, then God's revelation will kill you. It's, it is sad. It's sad. But as I've said it before, I don't think, I think Jesus makes it clear that that's not the way he operates. This warning this fiery revelation that Moses released in the in the presence of Pharaoh of the plague is is you know traditionally legendarily you know done as as he turns to leave Pharaoh's like get out of my sight I never want to see you again Moses turns to leave and then he turns back around honestly this would be a great movie right he turns back around and he just he just bubbles out of was it all passion motivated by love maybe not maybe some of it was was just fl- flat anger Moses is human and he might have just been mad and fed up with how Pharaoh's arrogance was destroying his people people that Moses would have known people that Moses grew up loving a nation that he saw with such huge potential to provide and and be a resource for the nations, for the world, and now it's it's devoid of every economic crop it ever produced. It's it's people are devastated by sickness and disease because of the plagues that have come and gone. He sees them now. You know, it's they've gone days without slaves to to produce, and now they're woefully behind in the in what needs to be produced. And he sees the final revelation and he says, literally, you are going to lose everything over this, Pharaoh. Pharaoh lets him walk. He lets him walk out. It's it's fascinating. So in chapter 12, see, look at that. I did the first chapter in like 18 minutes. I got this. I got this. Maybe this will be a short one. No, it won't be. All right. Chapter 12. The Hebrews are given a schedule of when to get their animals, when to kill their animals, and and how to help those who can't afford the animals, and, and when to prepare it, and how to prepare it, how to cook it, what to do with the blood, uh, what else should be there at the meal when they're ready, Uh all of their stuff, like they they need to pack up to move. So the the time period between Moses being kicked out of Pharaoh's court and and this plague is probably several weeks, right? Because because uh, this month is is to be for you the first month of the first month of your year, first day of the first month of your year, the, tell the whole community, community of Israel on this 10th day of the month, each man shall take a lamb. So you got, so he's, Moses, uh, God marks the first days like, okay, so this is it. Now you wait 10 days and you take the lamb and take into account how many people you have 
and the animals must be a year old males without defect. You may take them from the from either sheep or goats. You take care of them till the fourth day, fourteenth day. So four days you keep them within you. I mean, it's he it, it just goes on and on. So this is at least a two week period of time. So as Moses has shifted in his status there from the Egyptians. Uh, the Israelites were also seeing him as their leader, and they are listening and doing things as he directs. Like they are not, they're not pushing back anymore. Like you're making our life worse. If you remember what it was like for Moses back in the, you know, the first three plagues that came through, or four plagues that came through, like he was, he was getting beat up on both sides of the ball. Here. Both sides are actually honoring him and recognizing that that this guy is connected to Yahweh, that he has a power source that no one else has, that he that he is the voice of revelation that can that you know that they need to be um, they need to adhere to, and and that's awesome. So he tells he tells uh, yeah he tells them. Sometime during this two-week period, he's like, you need to ask the Egyptians for gifts. Now, um, those, those who, are, you know, who have been segregated against, have been hostile toward their race, those who have been uh, their, their masters, those who have been, uh, you know, had beaten them, had belittled them, had mocked them, had... Like these are the people that they're told to go back to and ask them for, we'll call it favor, but if they weren't asking for a favor. They weren't asking for a loan. They were asking for money. We need, we're asking you if you would give us gold and silver because the Lord wants to provide for his nation. And for years, this nation provided for Egypt and was a wealth center for Egypt. And now all of their wealth has been, in essence, taken, stolen, right? What the enemy steals, the Lord, the Lord says, you will get back. And here, all they had to do was ask for it. Again, no violence by the people on the people. I know that there was, there was plagues. I understand that. But this was not a physical altercation. This was, this was an opportunity to ask for something. And the Egyptians, of course, they see Moses as a mouthpiece of God. They see him as a leader of the of the Hebrews. They see the Hebrews now as an as a nation that has clearly been honored by their God and protected by their God. And they 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 have to like when when they're asked for the gold and the silver, they're thinking we have done this these people wrong. We haven't honored them. They've worked for us. They've provided for us. They've literally held our country up on their backs for hundreds of years. And individually, they're giving money back to these people. It's much different than a government program, which I know some people are muchly in favor of, but that's a, that's a political conversation you, you can go into. But this was not like a mind trick of God on the Egyptians. It's a shift in the way that they, that, that they perceive what's going on. This was predicted back in chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, where Moses is, is talking with God, and God lays out his plan. His plan didn't include death and destruction. He's like, it was a very short synopsis, but his ba- he ended with, you're going to walk away with the riches of Egypt because they're going to give it to you. The, the 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 Hebrews acquired massive wealth, enough to supply a nation, to generate what needs to be you know generated in order to survive as a nation, not just a people. And all of this was done while the time of the Passover was coming. Uh, there was no slave labor going on during these there, during these fourteen days. Uh, and really, there hadn't been during the darkness plague. There hadn't been during the probably the last several plagues. So for at least a month, maybe two, 
the Egyptians hadn't had any slave labor to keep things moving. So, so they've the, the whole country has kind of come to the stop. About the only place right now, the only people, I should say, within Egypt that hadn't necessarily been impacted deeply by everything was the army of Egypt, which was pretty substantial. And, and uh, it was probably one of the main reasons why no other country had invaded Egypt during this time. I'm sure other countries were hearing what was going on. And I'm sure trade agreements and merchants were, were recognizing that, that things in Egypt were not good. There was a, what, what, what do they call it now? A supply chain issue had started to occur along the Nile. <laughs> this, was, this was things, the barges were starting to back up in, in, the, in, the, in the Nile and all throughout the Delta. So around midnight, it says this plague would take place. Nothing really specific on the time, probably because, uh, you know, I, you have to be wise when you when you give out specifics because if it's not the exact moment, then you're seen as a liar. And I've seen a lot of people who really have good connections with God and they get super specific about a day or an hour or an event. And then it doesn't happen that exact way. And they have to kind of sit back and go, okay, what am I going to do with that? Did I mishear God? Did, did God, you know, did whatever, did I lie? People are accusing me of lying. This, this was a big deal. Uh, yeah, this was a big deal. You're right. During the second, the second time that Trump ran for president after his first term, man, there were so many people that had predicted without a shadow of a doubt that Trump was going to be the next president. And he wasn't now. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not making any deal about cheating or anything like that. But I just know there were, you know, predictively, some people immediately apologized for getting it wrong. And other people were like, no, we got it right. You know, he was cheated out of it. And, you know, years later, it turns out that might be true. So then what do you do if you've apologized already? Like, well, actually, I did have it right, but I apologized for getting it wrong. But now, actually, I was right. But I, I was right to apologize because it didn't happen. But it, you know, it's it just goes. Anyways, you just have to be careful. And I think Moses was being careful. He's like around midnight, this plague will take place. And, and when the day came, when the day came, Israel did what God had told them to do. They had, they had secured male sheep. They had brought them into their homes. They had protected them for four days. Israel did what their God had said. Egypt did what their leaders had said. And their leaders had said, we're not letting them go. So, you know, was God setting up a religious slavery system was God setting up protection from the angel of death now what 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 was what was he going after you know there's a lot of layers here when they do what they're told there's a lot of layers he's like you got to put the blood on the four on the two two posts in the top and I know that there's all kinds of symbolism in that and I love it, and yet sometimes people get too crazy and say it's the only reason why God did it. God did all of this. He wiped out all these women and children, men, women, and children, so that he could prove a point about the cross. No, come on. Now, just honestly, just take a breath. Just take a breath. I know you might get a lot of donations doing stuff like that. You might be able to write a few books, making it so aggressively one-dimensional in your interpretation of this, but let's just breathe a little bit, guys. Come on. Let's read the story. Now, God was setting up protection from the angel of death. The angel of death, in my opinion, is not God's angel. If it's God's angel, then he literally has an angel of death 
that sits around somewhere in the heavenly realm, which means death is in the heavenly realms, which means when Jesus conquered sin and death, he was killing his own angel. Angel, what? Like you, mm, you can't. You can't have it both ways. I mean, you can try, and I know many people have. They've, you know, lived long, prosperous lives in preaching this kind of gospel. But, but you're literally preaching against yourself, just like Jesus would have been fighting against himself, killing an angel of death that literally lives with him and has lived with him for all of eternity. So, I don't think the angel of death is God's angel. This angel of death had been worshipped in the in Egypt for years. And firstborns were either dedicated, ceremonially promised, ceremonially promised to that angel. Uh, servants served all the way until their death in the in the religious system of this of this God. And the angel was coming for the ones who had been dedicated to him. Firstborn children of Egypt had been religiously and ceremonially dedicated to this angel already. So he had rights to come after them. Leaders who had authority over the land and all of the people had ceremonially released the firstborn of all children to this demon, to this angel. And now he was coming for him. And God knew it. And he goes, but we can, I can protect you. And this is how we're going to do it. Take the blood of the lamb, uh, sacrifice the, the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost and the, and the cross beam, and everything will be fine. God was protecting his children, and he was setting up a way to remember that protection for years to come. He goes, for generations, I want you to remember that death doesn't come from me. Protection from death does come from my blood. Death is conquered. It is not used by God. It is conquered by God. Now, sheep were worshipped in Egypt. And if you remember, one of the times that Pharaoh had said, you know, you can worship for three days, but do it here in Egypt. He, Moses was like, no, we can't worship in this land because you know if we start sacrificing sheep and goats, it's going to be offensive to the Egyptians. And they would kill us if we did this. If they saw their sheep being slaughtered, we're going to die. And Pharaoh agreed. He goes, yeah, well, yeah, you're right. And he still didn't let him go, but he agreed with the argument. Now, you know, you got to picture what's going on here. Every Hebrew family finds a young male lamb, less than a year old, and he brings him into his house for four days, which I'm sure had to be fairly traumatic for a bunch of children who are you know, in these homes. And this cute little year old lammy, oh my gosh, they're so adorable with their little faces and their noses and all day long and they you know there's they sleep and they look so cute and you rub your fingers in their wool and oh adorable had to be a little tough to bring these animals in knowing you're going to kill them in four days but the egyptians i'm sure had to start asking what what's going on and they would find out that all of these sheep are going to be sacrificed all of these sheep are going to be eaten. And, uh, and as a ceremony, the blood is going to be put outside of their doors to protect them from a plague that's coming from the death angel. Now, this, this, had, to be, this had to be unbelievable. The Egyptians, I'm sure some were very upset by this. Others were very nervous about this. And I'm sure the, the, the officials heard about this that the people of Egypt were starting to get a little riled. You know, the sheep have been brought into these homes. They're, they're protecting them. They're all going to sacrifice them on the same day, which in and of itself would be a bloody mess in the streets. All over the place, there's just going to be dead lamb carcasses 
It's uh, uh, oh my goodness, like it's 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 crazy. And during those four days, all the Hebrews are again they're not working. They're going around. They're collecting uh, wood so that they could they have enough, not just coals. They need a, a lot more heat to to cook a carcass whole. So there's there's all kinds of preparations going on. They're packing their bags. They're loading their carts. The Egyptians watch are watching all this. Like it, it's not like there's there's watching it like on television. But there are Egyptians who have been assigned to this area, to this region where the Israelites live or the Hebrews live, and they're watching them and they're reporting back to their supervisors. But they're also telling their friends and their family what's going on. And that's spreading throughout the at least the Nile region of Egypt and periodically probably carried by various shepherds and merchants to other parts of Egypt. There's something, there's something pretty big going on. There's, there's rumors, there's whispers of the angel of death is coming and the and the Hebrew god seems to know a way to avoid getting your firstborn son killed but the you know the Egyptians also would have been getting information from their their leadership their leadership would have believed listen we have sacrificed many things to this god already and in sacrificing to this god we are confident that this god is not going to come and kill us in our firstborn it's this is this is misinformation. This is uh, hype, hyped uh, uh, conspiracy theories by a by a nation of slaves. What do they know? They're highly uneducated. We we won't let them go to go to school. They they only worship one God, so they really don't have the information needed. They don't have the well-rounded uh, theologies like we do. They don't have the priests like we do. They, they, you know, like there's so many reasons not to believe what the Hebrews are trying to tell you, or at least what you've heard rumors of. Everybody just relax, just relax. This isn't going to happen. But the officials of Egypt, I think, are talking amongst themselves saying, what if this really happens? I mean, everything this guy has told us that that's going to happen has happened. Every, every single time his God has, has told him what's happening, we, we get it. It happens. So what are we supposed to do with that information? And they want answers from Pharaoh, and Pharaoh refuses to respond to this information because of all the reasons we've gone over before. So in some ways, they're saying, listen, I would imagine some of the religious leaders and Egyptian officials are saying, listen, if the Jews sacrifice all of these sheep to the to their God, it's going to make the death angel even more angry, which which could be a problem. So both nations are, in essence, prepared for this event. Egyptians waited in fear and prayer. Hebrews waited at dinner in prayer. <laughs> they waited in preparation, ready to go. It, it it like like I, mm, the atmosphere of that of those of the nation of that region I should say of the geographical like if you were just a wanderer and you wandered into the land of Egypt like under the stars just like well you know I think I'll wander through Egypt I would imagine when you walked into that land you would you would sense a difference you'd be like whoa man there is. There's a lot going on right here. And maybe it'd make you walk back out of Egypt, or maybe you'd just kind of sit down and be like, hmm, I think I'm just going to wait out this night out here in the desert. Maybe I'll go in tomorrow. I don't know. But it says that the, the Hebrews remained quiet. And that had to be crazy to have a nation, right? I, I've been around... Well, I've been around RV parks, right? We have uh, we have quiet hours, usually at ten o'clock, uh, and things get quiet. They do, but but if anybody does make noise, you hear it, and you and you think they're in your like they're standing next to your your camper, yelling or talking or sneezing, or like they're walking their dog or their dog barks, and uh, you know, especially in the morning, people let their dogs out. You have to keep them quiet, you know, but every so often a dog sees a bird or a cat or whatever and starts to bark and 
Oh, good grief. Some some of these RV people get all up in arms and phone calls you know, immediately to the office at 6.30 in the morning. You you need to tell Unit 810 that they need to stop. Their, their dog is barking and it's uh, very disruptive and it's supposed to be quiet until 8, 8 a.m. and it's 7.47. It's like, oh, man, I would just, they would drive me crazy. I'd be like, really? It's a dog and it's almost 8. So just relax, bro. But I'm not in charge. And I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. But I just want you to know, you got a whole nation who's being quiet. Let's just call it a million people plus. All being quiet. And then the cries start to call out. And I have seen movies where this has occurred and you kind of get a picture of it. Right? I do think that the the movie, um, The Exodus there with, with uh, Charles... Charles, <laughs> oh, he was a famous actor. Anyways, uh, it's a cool picture, right? The the cloud kind of curling over the moon and coming down into the streets, and it kind of moves through the streets like a fog. And wherever it sees the blood on the doorpost, it just kind of curls up and rolls away. But every other house, it rolls in, and the Egyptians are screaming and yelling, and all of a sudden, the child dies, you know, or the or the son drops over at the table, or like that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. To me, I guess maybe because I saw it as a young child, it 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 just it's the way I still picture it. It's it's a massively sad, fearful time, and people are screaming and crying and. I have no doubt that they're running in the streets with dead children in their arms or on their shoulders, and they're running toward the palace, and they're, they're running toward their officials' homes, and they're, they're crying out to their religious leaders, you know, what happened? This is your fault. We could have protected ourselves. We should have followed the gods of, of Hebrew. What, why, are we, why are we going through this? You have, you have killed my child. This, you know, this blood is on your hands. And yet the Hebrew city was silent. Even the dogs, that had, that had to be supernatural. Even the dogs were kept quiet. And, and it, I, I mean, yes, we have the contrast, but I also think it's because the Lord wanted to be like, listen, I can't have you celebrating. You just had dinner. Yeah, I know it was a dinner of bitter herbs and, and quick eating and being prepared to go, but... But I think the Lord's putting a filter on the way that the Hebrews are being requested to leave Egypt. He's like, I can't have you leaving in celebration because I know what just happened. The angel of death has just murdered a million people. We'll just call it a million. I have no idea. Just murdered them. This is a sad, sad moment for the nation of Egypt. And yes, you're going to be released. I understand how happy you may be, but I can't. I can't have you. We, we have to honor and respect those who have lost their firstborn children. This is, this is, this is massive. Pharaoh is overwhelmed. The officials are coming in with reports and personal observations of their own homes where death is everywhere. In the, in the prisons, in the palace, on the farm, in the fields. I mean, he literally, he literally runs to Moses. There was not one house without someone dead. And during the night, Moses, Pharaoh summons Moses and he says, Up! Leave my people, you and your Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks, your herds, as you had said, and go, but please bless me. What, what was he asking for? Well, I think, well, this is what I read, and I kind of agree with it, that the blessing was this idea of, of, of in essence, uh, he was a firstborn son, right? So he didn't want to die. But secondly, he also was thinking, I'm, I have mutiny on my hands. And, and if you don't pray for me, I'm gonna, somebody's going to kill me. Either, either the, God, the angel of death is, 
or my officials will. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave their country for otherwise they said, you know, the, the next night could be worse. Like this death angel isn't going to go anywhere. He's going to keep killing people. So the people took everything they had packed up. They threw all the leftover dough of uh, before the yeast was added. They threw it on their shoulders. They wrapped it up in cloths. The Israelites did as Moses had instructed and asked the Egyptians. They had already done this over the last four days. They got not only articles of gold and silver, but the Egyptians started giving them clothing, beautiful, luscious, amazing clothes. And the Lord made the Egyptians uh, favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them everything they asked for. And in doing so, they plundered Egypt. And again, it's not the idea that they did this out of out of uh, celebration. They did this because the Lord had asked them to. And they did this before, I believe, the Passover had occurred. And so the Israelites journeyed out of Egypt. There was uh, here in, in this uh, version, it says there were 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Uh, many other people went up with them, large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds, with the dough of the Israelites they had brought from Egypt of baked loaves of unleavened bread. Now the length of time the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to every day, all the Lord's divisions left because the Lord kept vigil that night and bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites were to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. So this again speaks to this idea that that this was not a like a celebration exit. They were they were they were begged to leave. The Egyptians were like, "We are all dying. Everyone's going to die. We don't we're like we don't have any answers. We just know we're not going to survive another. None of us will survive. Just leave." Pharaoh didn't want any negotiations. Uh, the Egyptians, you know, they looked, the Hebrews were already ready to go. They poured out even more gold on them, I think. They probably believed that the Hebrew God had destroyed the death angel and was coming for them next. Pharaoh wanted them out. He wanted them out right now. He didn't want any retribution for, for his arrogance in the past. He wanted to be blessed to either not be killed by God or not be killed by his officials, who knows? And the Hebrews left. Now it says they left that night, but I, you know, you don't move a million people in it quickly. It just doesn't happen. I, you know, I've tried to lead groups of fifty, and and it takes way longer than you can ever imagine. I mean, I, I can imagine it now because I've done it, but. I've led, you know, led groups of 50, 100, 200. I've led, you know, 300 campers uh, up into a field. You think, okay, we're all here gathered, you know, uh, at the whatever, the starting point at the at the gazebo. I got 300 campers. We're going to walk 300 yards to the playing field to play a game. And you just say, okay, everybody, I just need you to move quickly from here to there. Go. And good grief. It's it's like a 20-minute process. Because people are just peeling off, doing something. Oh, I, I got to go run. Oh, I didn't know we were going to play a game. You know, I did. Oh, I, now I have to pee. Like, it just goes on and on. It's crazy. And if you're not prepared for it, you'll go crazy. I used to, you know, I used to lose my mind. I'd be like, no, we made the announcement. You knew we were going to play a game. You knew we were going to. Why didn't you go to the bathroom after dinner? We said, listen, we're going to play a game after dinner. Please go to the bathroom. And, and we told you this. And now you have to go. And now you, and oh. Now I just plan on it. And now I go to like things like weddings or many other types of events, conferences. And it's like, this meeting will go from 1030 to noon, from noon to one o'clock is lunch. I'm like, no, no. Because even if the meeting did end on time, which very seldom ever happens, you can't get 5,000 people out of this auditorium anywhere close to eating lunch and back here in an hour. You might be able to get everybody to lunch in an hour, but you can't get them back. Like, it's just insane how long it takes people to do things. So I believe this probably went on for the next 24 hours. I, they probably, some started leaving that night. Some were very excited to start leaving that night. They just, they jumped ugly. 
the Egyptians, you know, call call Moses and they say, get out. Pharaoh says, get out. Please just get out. Just leave. Everybody just leave. Leave. Take everything and go. And Moses sends the message and the elders send the message and people literally started rolling. So they clearly already had a plan as to which direction they were going to go or they would have went in all kinds of directions. They were like, we're going to head from Ramses, which is the area of Egypt. It was not a city. It was a region. It was later a city when a, when a future pharaoh built on top of this, the area in which the, the Israelites lived and his name was Ramses, and he named the city after, you know, he named it Ramses. But anyways, they moved from Ramses to Sakoth, and there was a lot of them. And then the Lord gives a bunch of regulations regarding the Passover meal. He goes, listen, no foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have brought may eat it only after you have circumcised them, but a temporary resident or hired hand may not eat it. Uh, it must be eaten inside the house. No one take the meat outside of the house. Do not break any bones. The whole community of Israel must must celebrate it. A foreigner residing with you who wants to eat the celebration of the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies to both to the native born and the foreign born residing among you. And all the Israelites did what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites up out of Egypt by their division. So, again, clearly preparations have been made. It's <clears throat> 600,000 um, men on foot. In other words, these are young men who can walk, who can walk, who can carry things. This is not children. This is not women. This is not hired hands. This is not servants. These are not foreign-born people. When you add all of those in, you're going to go into the millions. And that's okay. God's saying, listen, when all this happens, like we need, uh, you know, to make sure everybody who's in this is in this together. So here's some regulations. Let's not take this journey flippantly. Let's make sure people are, are committed. And there, there, you know, he lays out these regulations, and everyone did exactly what the Lord had told Moses and Aaron should be done if they wanted to go on this journey. And he brought them up out of Egypt on that very day. And now we have the the you know the Exodus has started. We're twelve chapters in, twelve chapters in, and we just got to the Exodus. It's an amazing, it's an amazing event. One that has been recounted 50 million different ways. And I hope you you enjoyed the recount here on the Epic Narrative. We're going to continue this journey, and it is a long journey. Probably going to take more than one season to get through. Because a lot goes into this journey. Way more than just leaving their homes in Egypt and their heritage from Egypt and all of their dead relatives, except for Joseph in Egypt. There's a lot that has to come out of the people in order for Egypt to get out of, in order for them to actually be out of Egypt. <clears throat> and we've got quite a journey ahead of us. I hope you will continue to join us on the Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right, welcome back for Bob Thoughts at the end. That was that was crazy. I did two chapters in one session. That's a world record for me, I think. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to consider. I I think I've done a couple one chapter one uh, uh, episodes. I don't know if I've ever covered two in a, in a session, but it was pretty heavy, right? The Death Angel. Come on. And uh, I, I, as always, I hope I caused you or gave you an opportunity to think and consider options, possibilities, uh, things that things that I think need to be debated and have conversations about. Uh, I know where I'd land, but 
You know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong about a lot of things, man, I'll tell you. I, I mean, looking back, right? I was I used to think God killed people. I think I'm wrong. I was wrong about that. I used to think there was no such thing as the supernatural. Like uh that God healed and God resurrected and God uh spoke and showed up in various means of communication. And yet I believe all that now. So yeah. I hope by giving you an opportunity to think and debate and consider. And if you agree with me 100%, well, then you and I should start a church. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. If we agree 100%, awesome. That's awesome. Hey, I know last week I asked you guys to uh, promote the podcast. I hope, I hope you did. If you didn't, that's fine. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think uh, I think we got a good thing going. Uh, let's see if you're if you've been keeping track of my personal journey. We have moved from Florida. We had spent uh, six months there working at a great little RV camp, and we took an opportunity to move north. Uh, as my wife said, like reverse snowbirds. We have moved. We are birds that moved toward the snow. Crazy but true. Uh, we get an opportunity. We're going to be up north, uh, be near family. Um, currently, we need to, you know, we both need to find some work. And uh, yeah, I don't need to give you all the details, but you pick it up. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll see lots of details as to where we are. But if you don't, now you kind of know we're going to be up north for the winter. Uh, still don't know where God would want us to be in a, in a more permanent situation, or at least a, shall we say, a consistent stream of income. Uh, and that's really what it is. We don't mind being in the RV. We don't mind traveling and living on the road. That, that all works for us. Uh, my wife and I actually get along really well, even after all these years uh, of amazing marriage. Um, so, all that works for us, but if we keep find, uh, you know, uh, uh, either one or two or whatever stream of income to keep us on the road, we'd stay on the road. And if we need to move somewhere, we'd stay there too. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what the Lord does. This has been a journey of next steps for us. He seems to reveal the next step. And then from there, uh, we work it. And then we wait for the next step. So that's what we're doing here up north, having a great time. If you do feel like contributing to us to encourage us uh, or to encourage this podcast, links for donation are uh, in the description of the of the podcast. They're also on my website. Uh, they're also on my Facebook page. They're also on my Bob Thoughts Facebook page where I just share uh, quick recordings on faults that I have, mostly around the theology and the church, um, you can give to any of those and be an encouragement. To be fair, many, uh, you know, not many, but we have a few that are very, very considerate and very encouraging because they give uh, often. And for that, we are very grateful. Um, we don't see you as anything less than amazing and really believe that God has put you there and we pray a blessing upon you for sure. All right, uh, let's see. What, what, did you, what did you learn today? What did you learn today? What stood out to you that made you go, whoa, 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 whoa. My preacher never told me nothing like that or I've never thought of it that way before. If you have something like that, please reach out to me either on my Facebook page or uh, or on uh, my email account, uh, thebobswitzer@gmail.com. Though uh, a lot of you that listen to me, I know already have my personal phone number <laughs> and you and uh, my personal email. Feel free to e reach out to me however you want, but just tell me something that might have hit you today that was like, hey, 
I've never thought of that before. All right. Have yourself a great day, everyone. I look forward to seeing you next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.